Fasten your seatbelts. It's time for the Anything Goes Hour with Stu Breyer. Welcome back to our program. It's a pleasure to have uh, someone with us who's had some interesting, nostalgic news about the Beanie Baby craze. Her name is Lena Trevetti. Hi, Lena. Hi, how are you? We're doing good. So, you know, it's very fascinating when something takes off and becomes a craze. I mean, look at the whole Barbie thing now. It's totally out of... Are you amazed at that Barbie movie? I have to still go watch it, but I'm really excited to get out and watch it because I grew up with Barbie. And uh, recently, a lot of reporters have referenced me as the Barbie of the tech industry. So I feel like I really need to watch it now so that I can make sense of my life. <laughs> well, they, they def- definitely, it's, they've talked me into it. I am going to see that movie and see what everybody is buzzing about. But you're very much involved with uh, another craze, and that is the Beanie baby craze you were part of the beginning roots of that tell us about it yeah i started at the company when it was uh i was the 12th employee there so it was a very small company and i uh started there before beanie babies even was a thing so it was um a real family sort of environment working at company at that time and uh, just cultivated into this big phenomenon that we all know today. So when you were working there, did you have any inclination that, uh, boy, this is going to be a home run? No. When they talk about the beanie bubble, I feel like all the work that I did while I was at Thai, I was in a bubble myself. I was very focused on the work that we were doing, and I knew that it was going well. Uh, you know, I saw the newspaper clippings and there was a lot of attention on the product, so I knew that it was popular, but I had no idea the impact that it had on so many people until after the craze. So what exactly did you do uh, enhancing that Beanie Baby movement? Well, I worked under Ty. I was uh, a college student that was working part-time. I started as a telemarketer. And I just had a lot of ideas while I was working there, and my ideas were welcomed, and I had a lot of room to develop the ideas that I had. So uh, one of the ideas that I came up with early on was putting poems inside the tags, and I wrote a lot of the poems that are inside the tags for the first 130 or so Beanie Babies that came out, 137, I think it was, that I wrote. And... um, the, the the idea that came about with the poems was when there was about 87 of them already available. So when I came up with the idea, I had to come up with 87 poems within 24 hours, but I ended up taking a little bit more than 24 hours to write them all out. Uh, but right away, it was a thing almost within a week. Like one day, the Beanie Babies didn't have poems, and then the next day, the next week, they did. And that was a really fun journey, just being able to write all the poems and be creative. And then the other significant contribution that I made to the craze was um, coming up with the idea to develop a website, which was before companies were even on the web. And that is something that I attribute to the craze because it was the traction of Beanie Babies combined with the birth of the internet. And it was timed 
perfectly. I think if the Beanie Babies uh, traction happened just a little bit before or a little bit after the where the point where the internet was at, then the journey would have been much different. Mm-hmm. It certainly was just being in the eye of the perfect storm. Well, it's a good thing that you were part of that eye for sure. Now, how did you fit poems on that little label in there? <laughs> yeah, I know. Trying to that figure was, that uh, out. <laughs> that was a journey, too, at the time. A lot of the software that we use today was just coming out in their first iteration. So we had Photoshop 1.0, my brother and I, uh, when we were working there. And having that as a tool allowed us to really play with the typesetting and the spacing and figuring out how to make it work. If Photoshop was not a thing, then I don't know if we would have been able to make it happen. But yeah, figuring out how to get it to fit on there and be legible was definitely part of the process. No, I didn't, I never realized there was a poem in the in the uh, origins of the Beanie Baby uh, because I knew a lot of people, a lot of young kids that loved their Beanie Babies. But give me an example of what what one of the poems would be like. Yeah, um, in the beginning, I wrote the poems inspired by people that are close to me. Uh, my brother and I, we worked on a lot of this together. So Bongo the Monkey is a poem that I wrote uh, inspired by him and his personality and it has his birthday and everything so the poem is bongo the monkey lives in a tree he's the happiest monkey you'll ever see in his spare time he plays the guitar one of these days he'll be a big star (laughs) yeah and you fit that all in there that's that's remarkable (laughs) so do, do beanie babies today have poems or that was just in the beginning I haven't really been connected with the product line. Uh, I, I know that Beanie Babies were discontinued, and I believe that they came back with the Beanie Babies 2.0, and I believe the company has resurrected some of my poems in the tags. Yes, because I still see Beanie Babies in stores, not as much as I used to, and uh, there's all kinds of shapes and sizes. Who determined about to what kind of a Beanie Baby would come out, or... Because it seemed like periodically they'd come out with a new brand, a new bunch of different ones. Yeah, the 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 ones that are in the stores now are Beanie Boos, I think, and those oh. are really popular too. My daughter collects them, and she loves them. Those are the ones with the really big eyes, mm-hmm. and uh, the bean bags are um, also available, I think, now, but they're limited in terms of where you can get them and. Um, from my understanding. And back in the day when I was there, Ty was pretty much spearheading a lot of the design. So he would come up with a lot of the concepts and ideas and how the designs would be put together. And then, you know, once he got it to a point, then he would ask people in the office, people like me, what they think and make tweaks to the design to make it those cute little beanbags that we know today. So, uh, this is fascinating how these things begin, and uh, now it appears, you probably are aware of it, that some of those original ones that, from when you started, uh, may be worth a lot of money, or some particular ones? Back then they were, yeah. Uh, the As the movie had shown, the beanie bubble kind of popped, 
and a lot of those beanie babies that had a lot of value don't have the same value today. So there are a few that still have value in the eyes of collectors, uh, but <laughs> in the height of the craze, they were going for thousands of dollars. There were ones that could be up to like $8,000. Oh, my God. For the one be- I know. <laughs> it was pretty... Uh, <laughs> I used to it's hard even- to wrap my mind around that, but... Um, yeah, that's what it, it was common. I when I left Thai immediately after leaving Thai, I sold a lot of my valuable Beanie Babies for seed money mm-hmm. uh, for my uh, web consulting firm that I started right after leaving Thai. And uh, yeah, I remember that was sort of uh, a fun experience as well. So, if you remember, which one was the considered the most valuable Beanie Baby that sold for the most money at the particular time? The one that I remember was the royal blue peanut, which is peanut the elephant. Commonly right now is a baby blue, but there was a limited run of them that was a royal blue, uh, which was before the color changed. So those that got their hands on the royal blue peanut, um, it was worth a lot of money. (laughs) I guess the secret word is uh, limited. (laughs) Lena, when we hear limited, we say, well, we're going to get one of those, huh? Yeah, I don't think it was the intention. I think that peanut was released, and then we just changed the color because the royal or the royal blue versus the baby blue, mm-hmm. everyone liked the baby blue better. I wanted to make it baby blue, so it turned into a baby blue. It wasn't like a, from what I recall, it was never a, um intentional thing mm-hmm. where we were going to change it in order to drive prices or anything like that. We just had the intention of delivering the uh, the, the best design. That's so, how I remember it. So you obviously had a tremendous collection of Beanie Babies. Are you sorry you sold some of them or maybe glad you no, did? No. Uh, I still end up, my daughter, she's, um, you know, she's 13 now, but as she was, Growing up, she kept getting Beanie Babies as gifts from people, sometimes from people that had no idea the role that I played in the company. Mm-hmm. And she has what I would consider a pretty massive collection of Beanie Babies now. We have to dedicate uh, about four shelves that are all Beanie Babies. So I had heard that um, there's one in particular that is sought after us, one about the Lady Di or something from the royal family, Beanie Babies. Is that true? Yeah, Princess. Uh, Princess is a Beanie Baby, the purple, uh, she's a purple bear. And when Princess came out, all of the proceeds from Princess were donated to her foundation. And that particular Beanie Baby was sought after and was really hard to find. Uh, and a lot of people wanted the Princess Beanie Baby simply because of their affinity towards Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so when did you find out about the movie? Were you notified before they started it? How did that work? I didn't have a whole lot to do with the movie because the movie was based off of the book, and the book was written something like seven years ago, and the book is a culmination of hundreds of interviews that the author did with all kinds of different people that are somehow connected to the Beanie Babies phenomenon. It was employees that worked at the company store, collectors. There was um, 
a, a lot of people that were interviewed and then it was all all their accounts were put into this book and my understanding is that screenwriter Kristen Gore read the book and some of the stories in there really um, you know rose to the top of the of the uh, you know of the whole phenomenon and that's how the movie was created so they didn't interview you I know somebody plays the part of you in the movie is that correct yeah 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 it's a fictionalized version of myself and it came from the accounts in the book and that was sort of I think the interpretation of all the stories and everything that everybody was saying about what happened in the 90s this was their uh, take on how how the craze happened and it was different for me to watch it because all of the facts are the same but then when you see all the facts through someone else's eyes it looks a little bit different than how you internalize it yourself mm -hmm. so uh, it, it was you know a lot of people talk about self-reflection and thinking about the things that you did in the past and I feel that I have this immense opportunity to do that through this movie because I how many people have this immense production created over a part of their life that can kind of help them process through some of the things that happened to them. So you were contacted to be interviewed on that? I, I wanted to understand that or not. No, I didn't have any contact with the production team outside of one scene that the production team reached out to me for because they were trying to make sense of how mm -hmm. the internet broke on New Year's Eve because that wasn't in the book. So I did have a conversation with somebody uh, to just give them information on how that how that happened. And the movie in the movie when the internet broke on New Year's Eve, a lot of that was based off of information that I had given to the production team. That's great. So they used your name in the movie. Somebody played Lena. They changed my name to a fictional name. So oh, boo. <laughs> I know. I don't like that. I didn't do that for legal reasons because okay. you know, I, I wasn't um, part of the team and I wasn't, uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if they would have had to um, compensate people or whatever. No, I'm, sure that's, I'm sure that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how all that works. Um, but um, it, nonetheless, it's still an honor to be in the movie. And I think people end up just searching to see if uh, the movie is based on a real person and they end up finding me and, um, you know, talking to all kinds of people that have all kinds of different reactions to the movie. Well, I'm glad you're doing these interviews so you can get some recognition for that because it was a big event. Maybe at the time you didn't realize and then eventually you said, this is uh, really amazing stuff. So uh, is the movie coming out soon or when is it coming out? Yeah, it's out now. It's on Apple TV Plus, and it's also playing in some theaters. And I, um, I, I think it's a really important story because right now there's such a disparity of women in technology, and it's part of the dialogue in technology fields where mm -hmm. there are women that are dealing with so many different dynamics in the workplace as well as in the space of idea creation and being able to advance their ideas and. Here is a story of something that happened right at the very start of the Internet. And surprise, I'm a woman. 
<laughs> you know. <laughs> and a very talented one at that. So, uh, thank you. I, I, this is, I love these stories, you know, how things uh, grow and grow and become very big successes. Now, is this a, a movie or a documentary? I mean, they're both movie types, but is it a documentary? This is the Beanie Bubble is a fictionalized movie. So mm-hmm. it is told similar to a lot of these other movies that are showcasing popular things, popular brands from the 90s. There are, however, documentaries that are out now. There's also a documentary on HBO Max called Beanie Mania. And there is different episodes and series that have Beanie Babies in them. The Dark Side of the 90s has a Beanie Babies episode in it. National Geographic has a series coming out, uh, or I think it's out right now, Rewind the 90s, and Beanie Babies is going to be in that too. So there's a lot of media on that's going back and revisiting the impact that Beanie Babies had on on our world. Do you think all the media with this uh, and the movie uh, that is going to uh, create a new interest in Beanie Babies where they'll start to release some of the originals? They've already done that. Uh, Ty has some of the new releases, and I think it's called the Beanie Babies 2 line, mm-hmm. or Beanie Babies 2.0. Um, so that's interesting, and, you know, there's, they're, they're a little bit different from the original Beanie Babies. Get those poems back in there, Lena. What do you think? <laughs> they have them in there. I, I saw that they had the poems in there, so that was kind of interesting. And that's your poems. Yeah. Okay, that's that's marvelous. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting how uh, how that all works. Lena Trevino is with us. Um, somebody plays her role in the new uh, Beanie movie, which is out now. I was not aware that it was out now, but we know it now. So I just want to talk about something else that caught my interest, Lena, that you are working on now, and. I thought this was really special, and that is you're working on something to help people who are lonely. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the Surgeon General just recently released a public advisory about social isolation and loneliness and the impact that has on our mental health and physical health. So that really resonated with me because my I have a special needs child, and I was able to see how my child is directly affected by this issue and some of the challenges that come from that. So a friend of mine, his name is Nathan Luthra, he contacted me and he also was personally navigating the same exact issue. And he had this idea to potentially leverage AI to produce a solution that can impact this this epidemic. And I just jumped right in because I felt really passionate about it, and we created joy.ai, J-O-I-I dot A-I. And it's a technology that uses AI to help people connect with those they are closest to. So when you think of Facebook and Instagram and a lot of the social media networks out there, you have thousands of friends, thousands of followers, but you really don't know who any of them are and your connections mm-hmm. with these people are not authentic connections. Mm-hmm. When I think of the people that are close to me, my top 10 people that are in my inner circle, such as my brother, my cousin, I have some of my best friends that I grew up with in the 90s, they're, in, they're 
updates don't show up on my Facebook or Instagram. I don't even get to see what they do. And if I have to count how many times I talk to them, it's maybe once a month. And that's so tragic to go through a whole year and only have contact with someone like your brother like 12 times a year. It's not what I want in our relationship. I want to be closer. I want to be more connected. And that's essentially what Joy.ai will do. It's, it's a system that is allowing people to get closer connected and identify opportunities to meet and connect in a meaningful way. Um, I could give you an example of yeah, how it works. Yeah, because I'm a neophyte, obviously, in this particular thing. But yes, please tell me. Yeah. So the way that it works is Joy.ai will allow you to create a digital version of yourself. So uh, the person that you're trying to connect with, in this example, it could be my brother, he also is creating a digital version of himself. So as we are talking to this digital version of ourselves, that's learning what our habits are, how we talk, what we like, what our routines are, it starts spring with our, um, you know, with, like my DigiMe, we call it a DigiMe, and my brother's DigiMe will start talking to each other, and I'll be able to look at these conversations of me talking to my brother our digital versions talking to each other, and it'll look and sound like me and my brother are talking to each other. And it'll prompt me contacting him to, you know, just out of the humorous conversation that they have. And on top of that, the DigiMe's are going to try to identify opportunities of when we can actually get together. Like say, for example, I have to go shopping at Target and I'm going to be in around the same vicinity as my brother. My brother's Digimi could tell him that your sister is going to be a target Thursday afternoon. If you have to go shopping, you could drop in. And then I could be shopping, and then my brother just happens to be <laughs> shopping at the same time. And then we end up going to the Target Cafe and having a grilled cheese sandwich together or whatever they serve there. So that's kind of how it works. It brings up opportunities for us to connect with one another that we may not have otherwise had. Well, this is the question I think most people would be wondering. Uh, when you watch the two of you and your brother in there and uh, having conversations, do you feed the uh, information into what's going to develop as somebody that's uh, artificial intelligence so they will go on that line of... <laughs> Am I making any sense here? Yeah, yeah. The The information is coming from you, and it's completely controlled by you. So mm -hmm. I would essentially be telling my Digimi that it can talk to my brother, and it could talk to my brother about all these different topics. So then the artificial intelligence is just going to render all of that information and the same um, from the other side, from my brother's side, and it's just going to be a continual dialogue that they have about my day, about all the things that happened in my day, and my brother is going to have a artificial response to all the things that are happening in my day. And as I'm reading it, it's going to sound like me and my brother are connecting and talking to one another, and it's designed to prompt me or him to actually talk to one another, because I'm going to be reminded of the relationship that I have with my brother and his input that he typically has on different things in my life. And I'm going to want to actually talk to him in person. And then on top of that, when you layer these opportunities for us to socially connect, like I could be at my mom's house, which is not too far from my brother's house, and I could just be hanging out there with my mom. 
And my DigiMe tells me that my nephew has a concert at a an elementary school. And then all of a sudden, I'm I'm not doing anything, and I'm asking my mom, we should go we should go to the school, and we should go watch the concert. And then all of a sudden, we have this meaningful experience that we wouldn't have otherwise had. So when you're talking to, say, your brother, you, this looks like your brother and, and talks like your brother, same voice, that kind of thing? Oh, this is all via text. So we don't have it at that uh, capacity yet where mm-hmm. it's an actual avatar that you can view that's talking. This is all text messaging right now. Okay. I can see where this is going. It's going to get yeah. visual very <laughs> soon. <laughs> so... Um, the- if you have a lot of these people that you get close to, it must take up a lot of your day. No? Well, you get to control how many people are in your inner circle, and we, you know, we don't we don't expect this to be anything like Facebook or um, Instagram or anything like that, where you have thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in your network. This is just going to be a handful. So, in my network, I might just have my brother, my cousin and maybe one or two of my friends. And that's who I'm focused on cultivating the relationships with. So between those three or four people, uh, the dialogues are happening through AI. At night when I'm you know, getting ready to wind mm-hmm. down my day, I could potentially go in and look at all of the dialogues and just be entertained. And now all of a sudden, the people that are close to me, they're playing a role in my life. They're in my life. And it's going to just serve as a reminder for me to reach out to them and connect with them or just text them in response to the dialogue that's occurring. There's all kinds of different possibilities of what that dialogue will result in. It, it, it could be fun banter, too. You know, like when we have I'm in Wisconsin right now. A lot of people that are in Chicago where my heart is will give me a hard time because I'm in the town of the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, just the the different bantering that occurs with sports, there's different, you know, um, concerts that are happening that we both have musical interests in might come up. Uh, and then just the way that we talk to one another, and it's going to be reflected in these dialogues, which I think that's where the magic is going to be, where you're reading these dialogues and it actually sounds like you talking to this person that is close to you. So when you kind of started this, is this like a business for you? or? Yeah, this is a full-fledged tech startup. We're all in on mm-hmm. uh, producing this and getting it out into the marketplace. We're currently uh, looking for beta testers. So we have a waiting list right now for beta testers that people can sign up at joy.ai, um, J-O-I-I.ai. And... Right now, the world of AI is so crazy. There's uh-huh. so many different ideas, and people have all kinds of different solutions for all kinds of different problems. A lot of them are in the, uh, you know, in the business space, but there are also some that are accessible to people. They have AI companions that are out right now, which is not what we're doing, but that's something that uh, people are developing where you can have an AI friend. Uh, that you can chat with if you're lonely. They have AI therapists. They have AI, all kinds of things that are related to AI. I can see when, you know, when we started the conversation, they're working on, because so many people are lonely and it, it affects their life in a big way. So you really um, have a friend available a lot. Yeah, yeah. 
my my daughter actually utilizes a lot of those French friendship apps, and she has nine AI boyfriends. <laughs> oh my goodness! Do they all know about each other? <laughs> well, she says that they get mad at her, and then she just moves on to the next one, and she just rotates. Oh my god! I was that's like, a- what? Okay, well, um, that's very interesting. <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it as a mother. Like, how do you, um, mm. you know? She asked me if that's okay if she has an AI boyfriend, and I'm like, I know. Um, mm-hmm. I guess maybe. Can I see what you're talking about? <laughs> do you think um, that AI, artificial intelligence, which seems to be getting better or bigger every day, is uh, going to be used for some of the wrong reasons soon? Or maybe it has already? Well, with anything, you know, there's good and bad. There's people that are going to be elevating the usage of the technology for positive solutions. And then there are going to be people that, you know, do the opposite. I think that it's like that with pretty much every every form of, of media. That's I mean, true. look at radio. Uh, are there are people that have radio shows that are designed to uplift people, and then there are people that have mm-hmm. radio shows that do the opposite. So I think that question can be applied to pretty much everything in the world, and the question is whether the good is going to prevail, and I believe it is. So your daughter has nine boyfriends. If one of them turns out to be a real jerk, is it easy to get rid of them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Factory reset. <laughs> okay, just reset and he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Listen, you're uh, you're very interesting, and I'm so glad that you uh, were part of that Beanie Baby craze because it gave people a lot of fun, and obviously it still is. So, J O I I dot A one. Um. Dot A I. Dot A I. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Joy. Dot A I. J O I I. Dot A I. And that is my goal. I want to bring joy back. I think that's what I did with Beanie Babies. It felt like a huge driving factor to the work that I did at Thai. I really was um, drawing off of the joy that people were getting from the products. And it's just kind of come full circle now to what I'm working on now. And maybe uh, another idea for people who only just come up with a new creation doll a, a company doll that uh, does more and people would feel like more like they're not alone with this particular doll well they probably have all kinds of aspects of that now oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I suppose right dolls yeah. do a lot more than when we were kids you know hey wetsy betsy thanks <laughs> see you later oh my Yes, you go to the toy store and it's amazing how many, uh, the way that technology works with toys and the things that it does. So it's, it's definitely fun. I'm sure you remember this one more question, is, and that is, uh, it's not a question, it's just a thought. The Cabbage Patch dolls, I'm telling you, people were going uh, when it was around Christmas time and they were all out of it. We just, On our talk show, we they would have given any amount of money to get one of those Cabbage Patch dolls. I wonder what the big intrigue was, maybe because it had its own birth certificate. You think that's what it was? or They were unique. Yeah, I remember because I grew up uh, in that craze, and mm. they were unique. Each one was different. Each one had its own name and its own birthday. 
so it was uh, I, I remember that craze and it was funny that craze took years to take traction because the internet didn't exist at that time mm. so with BTVs it was able to not only match the same traction but exceed it and have a worldwide reach in such a short amount of time. The Beanie Babies phenomenon, it culminated over a handful of months versus the years that it took for Cabbage, Cabbage Patch dolls. Patch, to- yeah. Now, I, I'm in a toy store sometime, and I'll see Cabbage Patch dolls, and I'm, I look at them compassionately and say, here you are. <laughs> it's like, come with you. here they are. <laughs> They have a, a Cabbage Patch farm in Georgia yeah. where you can actually go to this farm and see where the Cabbage Patch dolls come from, and you could actually adopt one. And my daughter has been wanting to go there. Uh, so, yeah, they're still they're still out there and kicking it. Hey, it's a pleasure to talk with you. We'll look forward to seeing that movie, and I'll know which uh, actress plays you from what you've Geraldine told me. With Vonison, she um, very eerily resembles so many aspects of my aura. I don't know how she did it, but mm-hmm. I a lot of my friends watch the movie and they're just like, that's you. That's great. <laughs> they even ask, uh, they're like, who did you let root through your closet to get the clothes that you wore to work? <laughs> that's pretty much how I dressed at the office, too. So it's kind of funny. So we can see this on, uh, it, it, it will be in theaters, right? Or it is theaters? It's uh, it's in limited theaters, and it's also playing on Apple TV Plus right now. Apple TV, okay. I think I have that. I may be watching yeah. it tonight. Yeah, do that. All right, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and good luck with uh, all your endeavors. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, and, and tell your brother uh, on your uh, machine that you talked to Stu today. I will. <laughs> all right, lady. I will definitely do that. Take care. Thank you.